Welcome to episode six of the Sink six. or Swim. Six already? Podcast. Yes, it's wow. number six. Wow. This is a very, very, I know it's always special, but this is a very special. I'm so excited about today, Mitch. Special episode with one of our dearest friends, one faculty, the, mentors, faculty, teachers. Dearest person in my life. Doctors. Dr. Rolando De Leon. Amazing human being. Thank here you he so is. much for being here. Dr. De Leon. Good morning, guys. Good, Good morning. Good morning, guys. This is very, very special for me and uh, and a first because I have never, ever, ever been on a podcast. So this is an amazing experience for me. I don't think anybody we've had on, including ourselves, had any podcast experience prior to being on the one and only Sink or Swim podcast. Yeah, none whatsoever. I'm a little disappointed that this podcast can't transmit the energy that Dr. DeLeon brings when he walks into a room. <laughs> oh, it's magic. <laughs> it's magic energy. And so everybody who knows, whether you're listening to this now or in five years or ten years or, uh, you know, if you're listening to it ten years ago and you traveled in time, Dr. DeLeon is probably the most amazing human being you'll ever meet in your life. We are so lucky to have him. I tell you, this guy, this person, incredible human being. All, all opinions have been paid for by Dr. DeLeon <laughs> previously, so... Uh, None whatsoever. Take it, take it with a grain of salt, you no, guys. No, no, no. Take it with a grain of salt. Everybody knows I have incredibly good taste in all things. Especially and, uh, people. Especially people. And Dr. DeLeon, he's the real deal. So for those of you that are students here, um, maybe you're only – you may not know who Dr. DeLeon is if you're in the under – well, you probably do. Maybe yeah, he's in he a lecture yeah. or for you. Uh, but he is, you know, just associated with OBGYN – curriculum at our school but that may be all you know about him and there's a lot more to unpack here so he's a careered OBGYN um he's lived in the Miami area for what 40 years um he's incredible I've had the the actual privilege of seeing him with his patients and it's truly one of the most magical things you'll ever see it's why you go to med school to have a career like Dr. DeLeon so we want you to tell us all about it um, so, yeah, tell us your story. Tell us your story. Okay, so my story. Um, I was born in Cuba, but only f lived there for a very short time and was first-generation immigrant. My parents uh, left and came to the United States, but obviously had a really hard time making ends meet to the point where I, as a small kid, was sent to Puerto Rico to be taken care of by my grandparents because my parents had no way of uh, supporting me or taking care of me. So I actually didn't live with them until I was seven or eight when we moved to, they moved to the D.C. area and they, um, they kind of set up shop up there and that's when I moved up and I was raised uh, in the D.C. area, in outside of uh, Washington and Northern Virginia which is where, you know, the name Rolo came around, which is what I am known by, because Rolando in the 60s in Virginia didn't really fly. So we had oh, to wow. think of something that, you know, uh, was, was easy and wouldn't embarrass me too much in school. So 
you know, and, uh, but so that's where, that's where home was. And I was blessed. I'm an only child and we grew, I grew up there and, um, I did everything, grade school, high school, college, med school. And then I came down to Miami and I was, I was not, well, I'm probably, I'm, I'm not sure how these guys were in grade school. I kind of have an idea how Samantha would have been in grade school. Horrible. Well, (laughs) you know, as was I, 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 I'm the kid who had a personalized chair at the principal's office, had frequent flyer miles for, 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 for getting in trouble. And, uh, and and that was me and that was me and i i share that a lot when people especially my patients they come and they tell me about oh my god my son my daughter they're just oh and they're giving me so much trouble and i'm like listen let me tell you a story and then and the ending didn't turn half bad so it's you know it's that's my the, favorite thing when you look at somebody and go listen <laughs> Listen, let me tell you a story because it's always going to be a very good story. And I will say, excuse me, everybody calls you Rolo. I can't yet because I feel like I haven't ascended to that level. You're Dr. D, you're Dr. De Leon. I was like, when am I allowed? Um, Yeah, maybe never. And that's okay. I will say, though, I can't tell you how important I felt when I was rotating with you at Mercy. You cannot walk three feet without somebody coming up to you going, hey, Rolo, you know, they just hugging you. And you know their life and you know them, anybody, anybody. And you just standing next to you, you feel so important. You feel like a celebrity. Um, I, you know, it's funny. People people, people have mentioned that to me. And I think that is more a factor of, uh, of age than, than anything else. And, and really having been in the same place. I, I have the blessing that I've been at Mercy for 30 uh going on 34 years this fall and in the 29 of those were in the same office in the same place and walking the 34 years walking down the same hallways going to the same labor floor the same OR the same cafeteria so yeah i mean i i you know it's it's one of the few things that really gives me a real sense of pride is that I think uh, I think I'm, I think I'm one of the very few people at the hospital who doesn't need an ID badge at oh. this point. <laughs> That's amazing. So That's amazing. I, you know, and it's 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 really it's really very much of a very much of a blessing. It is, and but yeah, you know, and and you know, medicine is. Medicine is a gift. It's a gift, you know, that that you have to work for, but it's it's nonetheless a gift and it's it's something that I try to share with the younger students because the realization that you got a seat in medical school when there were 20 other people of which okay, maybe you were better than 10 of them. And maybe you were better than five more. But those other five were just as good or better than you on paper. And you got picked and they didn't. 
Honestly, it's more than five now. I mean, we had 6,000 applications for our 50 spots, 6,000. Um, that those are insane numbers. It's, it's. Let's roll it back though. Let's let's roll it okay. back. Because <laughs> you and Mitch share, share something really special in common, so you guys should talk about that. Yeah, bring us back to. Because you guys are you guys are like the same. We are. Bring we us are, back to that high school to college transition. We what, are. What was going on in your life? Mitch and I. High school was also, an, at least the first two years, was an extension of grade school where my goal was <laughs> to be to have grades that would keep me academically eligible to play sports that was it and whatever that bar was that's where that's where I sat a lot of athletes feel that way it was it was and a, and a funny story is that I my there was a pivotal point where my academic life kind of changed and it was my sophomore year uh, biology midterm. And this is high school or This college? is high school. This okay. is high school. And I went to a an all-boys Catholic high school in Northern Virginia, Bishop Ireton. Shout out. Shout out, Bishop Ireton. And uh, um, I remember it was the priest who taught the class was old school, real old school. So the biology tests were all essay tests. And I remember that um, sometimes one question, sometimes two questions. And I remember our midterm was write everything you know about DNA replication, right? Yikes. And all I knew about DNA replication was kind of a ladder spun around itself that, <laughs> you know, uh, and that was it. It was something to do with a ladder that kind of twisted on itself. And I wrote a bunch of nonsense, for not to use a better word. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is handwriting. You have this to handwrite hand it. This is handwritten, which was a challenge for the priest to decipher anyway. But anyway, and and I, I never forget, I got a 48 on the midterm. And miraculously, I don't know how, my, my average ended up to be like just above a 70. So it was just enough to keep me available to play, to continue playing basketball for the rest of the year. And, but then, then I remember all my contemporaries starting to talk about colleges. And everybody was talking about the regional colleges, Georgetown, GW, George Mason, Villanova, you know, uh, wherever they were going to go. Those are some big deal names. Oh, no, they were. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, all this stuff. And I'm, I'm looking at Northern Virginia Community College, right? <laughs> if, if, right? So I don't know. I just, you know, I woke up, never looked back, and, you know, pretty much cruised the rest of the way. And then... I was going to go to, and then it was time to, to go to college. And this was at a time where, unlike for, for Dr. Bourne here, uh, you, 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 know, you really didn't need to be talented to play football. If you were big and you were strong, you played football. And so I, I wanted to play football. I, I continued. I, I, I miraculously got accepted to Virginia Tech, 
and I got waitlisted everywhere else. <laughs> so it was an easy choice. And, choice. you know, it was hard. It was hard to overcome the first two years. But I, I got in and I got an opportunity. I got an offer to, to try out for a walk-ons position. And I did. And I wasn't the fastest and I wasn't the biggest. But I was smart enough to figure out uh, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the tactics that are involved at college-level football. So I made a freshman team, but whatever you want to call it, God, karma, the universe, whatever you want to say was on my, was on my side because very early on I got my knee blown out for the second time and I never played on the varsity team. It was during my freshman year had to have surgery and but I went to college I was really young so I enjoyed I enjoyed all the fruits of being a football or being on a football team at a major university which I know Mitch knows about this that when you are well I shouldn't you know I don't know that he does I don't want to you oh, know yeah Mitch is married I know right yeah. Marissa you know <laughs> Well, I think Mitch went, Mitch went into college married. Yeah, Mitch right. has been married since he was 16. <laughs> okay, Mitch has okay, been, okay. He didn't get but to enjoy did, those we did go in. We did go into college together. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so bottom line, at the end of my freshman year, I had a 2.3 GPA, right? Yeah. Pretty stellar. That's not great for med school. Well, no, not great. It's not great for anything. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you play football, though. You know, but I did play – but I did have a football – I did have a Vatek – a lot of Vatech football gear that pretty much opened the door to any frat party on ah, campus. The ticket. So it was a ticket. Um, and I remember getting picked up by my dad alone. My dad was not a warm and fuzzy guy. God bless him. And we he picked me up and we had a five-hour drive home in complete silence for four and a half hours to where he looked at me and said, you know, I don't think many med schools accept students with a 2.3 GPA. And then the next half hour was silent and we got home <laughs> and that was the extent of our five hour car ride. Wow. And that's what, that was my turning point because I, that summer I was working for the government, which meant I did nothing for three months. <laughs> <laughs> so I early on bought a Morrison and Boyd organic chemistry text, read it throughout the summer on my own, went on to get straight A's in organic, and uh, wow. and the rest, you know, kind of fell into place for me. Um, what did your dad, what did he do? What, what did he do for a living? My dad was a lawyer in Cuba, cool. but in Northern Virginia, he... He ended up being the director of one of the public libraries. Oh, so cool. he was like a librarian in one of the, the county's public libraries. My mom started out as an admin at the IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund. And just on sheer, you know, spit and polish, worked her way up to being a statistical economist at the IMF when she retired 
and involved with a lot of, at the time, you know, Middle Eastern economics and, and she, IMF is the, is the international, is, works with the World Bank and mm-hmm. they, are, they are in charge of international world loans or loans to countries and things like that. And um, so she, she really, she really from, without a college education, this was all on-the-job training, and just rose and rose and rose and rose to, to an incredible to an incredible position before she, before she retired, and so that was home. I grew up in. And these are Cuban immigrants come Cuban here with, immigrants, with nothing. And Cuban immigrants with nothing. Right wow. to, it's incredible. you know, we lived in a tiny apartment. I lived in the den or a little little, you know for pretty much my whole life. When I was in college, uh, they actually stepped up to buying a townhouse. And it was a small townhouse, but I'll tell you guys, it seemed like it seemed like the Taj Mahal to me mm-hmm. because like I had my own room and, uh, you know, so it was, it was, you know, very, it was, a, it was a typical, First generation Cuban immigrant story, outside. The only thing was it was outside of Miami. That's what I was gonna say. You're not in Miami, Miami. so that that had to be a little bit harder for your parents in that regard. There was a Cuban community there, and their friends were ninety percent of them were like them, Cuban exiles who settled in the area, and and that was and that was it. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So your dad, he's you have your four yeah. hour silent no. ride, then an hour, hour, hour four. He says it's not going to get you into med school. Ouch! And Ouch! Yeah, you worked Ouch, the summer. Ouch! But really glad he said that. Ouch! Yeah. But realization, it was like I said, it was a turning point, and that so much so that that summer before I started my sophomore year, I read cover to cover a book called Morrison and Boyd Organic Chemistry, right. and and. I don't know how much I retained on my own, but enough to, 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 to make sense of it and do well. And um, was it, so that was really just like a turning point. In your, it really in was. Your studies. It really was. So and after that, you went back to school, and you were just you well, know. Well, no, I actually thought about football again. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I said I'm going to rehab. So which gave me a lot of focus because. Um, I would spend a couple of three hours a day, you know, lifting and swimming and doing everything I could to try to get ready for the following spring to see if I could. And somewhere, somewhere in the middle, I think it was after my first, my first quarter where I had really, 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 you know, I had like a three eight taking physics, organic and, and biology and whatever else. I, I kind of said, you know what, maybe football, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's time to walk away. And I did. And, um, and then just concentrated on, on that. And, uh, yeah. And you told me you, you just willy nilly took the MCAT without any prep, blew it out of the water got an amazing score. Well, that's. And- that's (laughs) 
that <clears throat> that's sort of been uh, uh, a tremendous gift that I was given uh, a long time ago because, again, remember, this is 1977? Mm-hmm. Good year. Good year. Good year. Good year. Were you born? No, but I probably was. I was about no, to. I was. Down, I was coming down the pipeline. I was. You know? This I was. <laughs> I. This was seventy-seven. So I was nineteen. I was just turned twenty. I had just turned twenty. I was really young in college, and there was this test you had to take to go to medical school called an MCAT. There were no courses. There was no computers. There were no laptops. There were no computers. Computers did not exist except only in at you know NASA and university settings so and they were massive right right they were and, they took up a whole room right it yeah. was an entire room so all you could do there were no courses you could buy a book either Princeton or Kaplan but if you bought a book it was all on your own it was a you know a huge it was about the size of back then a telephone book in oh, a wow. in a large metropolitan area it was just it was just and the pages were just as thin. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know? Now, for reference, they're like an inch thick. Okay. That's it. This is these were massive. So I made a point. Okay, I bought the book. Book went on the top shelf of my bookcase, and about two weeks before the test, it was still there. And I said, "Oh my God, yes, this test is coming up in a couple of weekends. I'll yeah, I gotta I gotta get on this right." And there stayed the book. And then about a week later, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change my strategy at this point, right? I'm going to take it cold, right? I'm going to take it cold, and I am going to see what the test is like so that over the summer I can study it. Because there were no practice tests. Mm -hmm. There were no practice questions. There were nothing. You sat for the test. You saw what it was like. And so I did. So I went, and I was a Saturday, and I prepared for it in that I went out and I had I bought stuff to celebrate or drink after the <laughs> test. So I prepared for the yeah. I prepared for the MCAT. You know, and this I, is a test you have to sit in a room with a number two pencil. For number two and pencil okay. and just, you know, it, it goes, the number two pencil shrinks about three inches by, <laughs> by the end yeah. of the test. And uh, and I went and I took it, and I thought, man, this was really hard. <laughs> this was real. I knew nothing. I don't know how I did on this. This is crazy. Common response. We all say that after every. Yes. I was like, I was like, holy moly. Um, so about six weeks later, I get the score back. And I kept on looking at the score and the name and the name and the score and the score (laughs) and the name. And the only way that I can describe, well, first, you have to, you guys have to understand, and, and this will lead into something later on, which will tie it all together. Um, what a gift. What a gift that was. Problem is, when you're 19 or 20, 
you you really don't understand the gifts you're being given. You you just don't have you don't don't have the perspective. No, man. No, you haven't been down the road enough long enough to look back and say, "Wow, you're just still kind of just bebopping along, bouncing right. around, looking at this, looking at that. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, sure. Confident, cocky, and, annoying. And so I get this incredible score, completely undeserved, right? And the best way that I can describe it to you guys, for those of you who ever saw a movie called Slumdog Millionaire, mm-hmm. where... An, an Indian boy who is illiterate, an illiterate street urchin, mm-hmm. right? Poorer than poor, finds his way onto an Indian version of who wants to be a millionaire, right? Yet every question that he is asked, which should reflect intellectual knowledge, is linked to a life experience that he's had. So he's able to answer the questions as he goes along, knowing nothing and not even being able to read. But he moves along until he wins the contest. Well, that's what that test was for me. You know, whoever picked that test, because you know everybody gets a different test. The, the seat that I sat in and the test that I got and the number that I registered on my answer sheet for the number of the tests that I got was random. It wasn't pre-assigned, right? And every question that was on the test in front of me happened to be something that I knew. If I had sat in Mitch's chair or Sam's chair, I would have bombed the test because it would have been a different test and it would have been a whole different set of questions from a different question bank. So for me, that was a gift that was given to me to be able to have, now I can see it, to have the life and the career and the vocation that I have had, right? So um, so I take the test did really well. Okay, really well on it. This was the old MCAT. I don't know which one you guys took. We took the one that has the 500 scale. Okay. Uh, you probably took the one that goes up to 40. No. I no. took the one that says, that, yes, 40. Yeah. Up to 45. Okay, yeah, 45. It goes up to 45. Yeah. It went up to 45. And this was a a ridiculous number. And, you know, I thought they had, you know, they it was – it. it I think they had just, I thought they had dropped the decimal. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. But anyway, but anyway, so I moved on. I applied to medical school, didn't get in because even after everything, I think I still had like a 3.0 GPA and I was really low, really, you were, you, Mitch, Mitch is nodding. Mitch was in the 3.0 club. We have a more (laughs) similar story than you might understand. (laughs) Yeah, no, that the three club is funny. When I played football, like obviously athletes aren't typically academic uh, powerhouses. No. So they're, they're orthopedists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a uh, some sort of initiative at UCF football called the three club, and if you could maintain or get a three you would get a shirt. 
That's it. <laughs> UCF Free Point Club. Do you still have that shirt? Yeah, it's somewhere. Oh, man. You got to find that oh, shirt. I will. I will. No. Oh, I, so I disagree with the whole athletes are an academic powerhouses. I think you guys are far more impressive, and you have what takes you further than an academic prowess would, which is discipline, and I think that's so important. So you say one thing, but the two well, of you have an incredible amount of sure, discipline. Sure, I just mean on average, like most athletes aren't. Well. Great. <laughs> but... Um, I was really lucky, I have to tell you, because the guy who was the center, we lived in a, in a the first year, my first year I lived in, a, in the jock dorm, mm-hmm. and the guy who was the center for the basketball team was a junior, and I don't know how we clicked, oh, I know why, because at some point we ran into each other at the math building, and he was kind of like, looked at me like, I know you, what are you doing here? <laughs> and... Um, he was actually a um, civil engineering major, and he got me through. He got me through linear algebra and differential equations, my freshman year, barely, but he did. And so there were a, there were a couple of outliers who, who you know, if you happen to find them, really you know, really shined. Mine was similar. Like my story was similar to you in that, like I didn't. I mean, you were thinking about med school earlier on, but I was not a good student when I came in. I was, I was getting C's like left and right my first couple of years, and then I left football after two seasons when I realized it wasn't going to go much further for me. And then I wasn't immediately thinking medicine. I had a period of time where, I, like a year, where I was like, man, I don't know what to do with my life. And then I had that similar moment where I had to kind of flip a switch and become a good student and start getting the A's and you know do well in the MCAT. But shout I, out Marissa. Yeah, shout out my now wife marissa for giving me some semblance of a routine um yeah but i met people along the way too that got me through like i remember when i took uh molecular biology right man that <laughs> i had no it's a background fun class, it, it was an amazing class and i i ended up doing all right but that you got to realize this was like the first exposure i had to that stuff like coming from uh, i mean like we didn't really t- we took biology and stuff obviously in high school but like even the first two years of college, I didn't take like um, uh, lots of intro to bio, intro to cell bio. I didn't take all that. I went straight to like molecular bio, microbio, biochem, organic. Yeah. So it was a big contrast between being a bad student with like not really much of a background to being a good student with like hard sciences, especially as an athlete before too. So I share a lot of your sentiments. You know, and 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 again, we're just at that point we're just walking. Or more than walking, we're just bebopping right down the road without really kind of figuring figuring it out. So I I applied to med school. I, there was remember back then everything was regional. The idea of somebody from Nevada and California ending up in a medical school in Florida that didn't happen. Okay, I mean, you know, that didn't happen. If you lived in Kentucky, you went to medical school in Ohio, Kentucky, or Tennessee. If you lived in Virginia, there were three medical schools that you applied to, and that was your top chance because they were all preferential to in-state students. Medical schooling then was very regionalized, except for you know, the big, big names which drew students from everywhere, you know, the Georgetowns, the Stanfords, the Harvards. Okay, all right. But so I 
applied to all three schools, never got a call back from anybody else except for this brand new school, which was similar to NSUMD because it was only three years old by the time I was applying. I went to an interview, got put on a wait list. I was told, no, you didn't get in. Sorry, but we kind of liked you a little bit. Would you consider reapplying early decision next year? So I said, oh, my God, are you kidding? I loved your school. Yeah, I love. I didn't say this part. I loved your school. You were the only ones who gave me an interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Leave that up. I would love to. I would love to reapply. And I did, and I I got in, and um, it was it was Shangri La. It really, I have to tell you, it was Shangri La. The and a huge reason of why I'm here with you guys is because of the people who were there with me. And they made such an impact in my life that it's a huge reason why I am here. And if I can just make a tiny impact like they did, if I can make an M1 believe in themselves a little more and know that you're, not only are you going to make it, but you're going to be a great doc one day. That's what these people did for me. And that paying it forward. And that's what you guys are going to do in your career. I know that. That's the beautiful thing about medicine. It's, it's, uh, you hear it a lot before you come, but it's a family. It's, uh, <coughs> it's a, you know, you give, you give back. You, you, you take advice. You, you give advice. It's so beautiful. It's, I, I, don't, I haven't had many other careers, but I imagine there's nothing quite like it. The subject matter is fascinating. Obviously, it's like while well, we're all here, but it also offers just so many opportunities to teach and mentor and just, you know, relationships with people under you in the same level as you, over you. It's a pretty, it's a pretty beautiful field, even though we're pretty young in it. You join a family. Yeah, and join a family. even our family, like, you know, your husband, my wife, like, we all have this shared relationship of just going through some unique experience together, it's, mm -hmm. and it's pretty cool. Yep. And, and, and just as an aside, talking about husbands and wives, the reality is none of us would, I know I would, none of us would achieve our uh, intellectual, academic, professional, vocational potential without those people standing next to us. Oh, there's no possible way for me. None. There's Shout none. Out Dave. None. Shout out Dave. Amen. Without Dave, Dave was like a first real. Uh, when I met him, it was like, oh, this is what it's like to have somebody like a family member, somebody care. It, it was he's incredible. I, I, there's no way. Shout there's out no Marissa. Way. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So yeah. I have to tell you something funny. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we 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 got together, and uh, uh, I was introducing Samantha and her husband to my family, right? And as they're as they're walking up, I said, "Oh, Mati Debbie, this is uh, here. This is Sam and Dave." <laughs> and for s somebody my age, um, all of a sudden, I said Sam and Dave, and I just stopped. I and I was like, and I was like, Mitch was there, and I was like, just stopped. And I'm like, oh my God, Sam and Dave, Sam and Dave. Well, for those of you 
who are not of my generation, Sam and Dave were probably one of the most popular uh, popular soul groups in the 60s. And uh, a lot of a lot of songs, <laughs> a lot of songs came from them. And if you haven't, look up Sam and Dave. So when I mention Sam and Dave, I'm like, oh my God, that is too funny. you know, but um, so so yeah, so we we, you know, and it's funny because um, you're exposed to so many people in medical school and, I immediately I could see, you know, Mitch and Sam's tribe, right? They 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 have a tribe, and it's not a click, it's not a click because it's very inclusive, but it's certainly people who share common values, and I had that, I found that too, in medical school, and and. Um, um, from people who had lives in the arts, people who had lives in athletics, people who had lives in business. All these people came together. I remember going to my 20th class reunion in 2002. And my wife coming away from that, and she grew up in Miami, and she grew up in a large family in a very family-centered, you know, environment. And she went to this, and she said to me, you really went to school with some really amazing people. I mean, and <clears throat> just to give you an idea, sadly, that was 2002. Sadly, a year later, we all came together again in a memorial service for one of our classmates who passed away because he was an astronaut on the Columbia Space Shuttle, which burned up on reentry. Hmm. And that was so so that was the level of the people who I got to rub shoulders with were just amazing individuals. And and this was one of my closest friends. We all came together, and then it was like, you know, the the. That's why I'm telling these guys, the these are the people who you will be with forever. I have about a 12 person chat group, or that that that, you know, we're spread out throughout the country, even to this day, 40 years later. This is my 40th year, and I can't wait to go back to. You know, I can't wait to go back to my reunion to catch up with people and, you know, and see them. And and more than anything, to shout and crow about the experience that I'm having now with you guys here at NSU. Because, wow, mm-hmm. wow, what a, what a gift for me. You know? Oh, I think it's opposite. I think you're a gift for us. No, it's yeah, it's, yeah. Just, just how, accept it. <laughs> how I came, how I came to be here, was so, so crazy, because I always loved to teach, and I always taught, and you know, every year Jackson at the end of the thing, every specialty, you know, you get a residency teaching award if you if the if the students liked you and. 
I always did that. I always got those. It just, it was, I loved, you know, if I was an intern, third year medical students were my thing. You know, when I was a second year, interns and fourth years and so on and so on and so on. And then I stayed as an attending at Jackson for a few years. And then I went into private practice and the rigors of private practice kind of took me away from the teaching um, for many, many years. And then a few years ago, a friend of mine who is an amazing, amazing educator, she is the clerkship director in OBGYN, or she should be the clerkship director in OBGYN in another medical school in South Florida. And she was, she was, she had students with her she was going on vacation, and her office was right underneath mine at Mercy, and she she was going away. She asked me if I would med student sit for, for a couple of weeks. And I said, oh, my God, sure, I love that. And after we did that, I re-fell in love. I totally re-fell in love with teaching. And... Um, I totally re-fell in love with teaching. And I asked her, can I get a student of my own? And she said, hell, you can have three. And I started doing that and um, fell in love. This was at a different school here in South Florida. And then I started asking, well, where are they taught their didactics? Well, they, we teach them in school. Well, can I help with that? Sure. And where do they learn this? Well, it, so before I knew it, I was doing a ton of stuff at the school as a volunteer preceptor. And I wanted to get involved. I wanted to do more. I wanted to do more and I wanted to get into advising and mentoring and doing all this stuff, but they really didn't didn't seem to have the the opportunities for me to do it. So Lo and behold, I got I got a phone call saying from HCA, who I'm also the board chair of a couple of one of their hospitals, if I could meet with them, and I did. And we went to lunch, and the guy who was the president at the time of HCA says, I know you love to teach. We've started this initiative. You guys were already into your first or beginning your second year. We're starting this initiative with NSU. Would you consider being the, what would you like to do? And I was like, well, I'd love to teach. And I was like, well, would you consider being the chair of OBGYN for the medical school? And after I got off my butt laughing, you know, <laughs> laughing like crazy, I'm like, listen, come on. This is, this is not me. You need a real, you need a real professor for this. I'm just a schmo. You know, you need you need no. somebody who really knows what they're doing. And they said, no, 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 no. I think you would fit. And he, the guy who kind of, this is the president of HCA. And then there was another gentleman who is the DIO for the region who is in charge of all the medical education. And the president of the company, like typical, you know, he gets up from the table and he turns to this other gentleman and says, such and such, he goes, make it happen and walks away. So, so that was it. So I don't think NSU had much of a choice. I think they kind of got stuck with me. I think me. we kind of got lucky. And uh, I remember the first day I ever knew you existed, and it was pure magic. 
which do you remember? It was the panel. It was Christmas of our M2 year. I remember I was sitting with Uma and Eliza. She was full on pregnant. You came in, you had your, it was uh, the M2s and the M1s. They were all in that martyr classroom. And we have a panel and we have a forensic pathologist. Um, And then we had two other doctors, forgive me, I don't remember. And then we had you. And oh my gosh, you showed up with a PowerPoint. And the first slide wearing was the scrubs. Magic Kingdom. No, he was wearing an outfit. Was he? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, he was he wearing was, an he outfit. Was. He looked he looked real sharp. And Usually the first picture scrubs. was the the Magic Kingdom castle and you said, "Guys, <laughs> guys, get ready. You're going to the Magic Kingdom." It was so incredible. I remember thinking in that moment, if this is what OBGYNs are, I, I want to be one. I want to be just like this this man, right? I want to be him. Um, and I, I remember, I remember you just came in and you just lit up an entire auditorium. It was, you gave every, you injected so much passion into that room. It was incredible. Well, I just think it stands out because you have, like, not even speaking about here in particular, but you have people that teach or are assigned to teach some material and it's just very obvious they don't care or if they care it's just they're not passionate about it or they just don't like teaching they're not used to teaching but then you get someone that is passionate about the material genuinely loves teaching and is excited about it and it does a good job of actually lecturing it it's like a it's a breath of fresh air and it stands out and then when they told us, you know, our we have learning communities here at NSU, and I don't know how much further that's going to go, but we had it for our class. And then when our learning community mentor, Dr. Templer, was leaving to take a position out of state, it was, you know, we were sad, of course, but then we get an email saying that it's going to be you taking over, and that was the greatest thing I had heard. I actually remember I sent you like a really long email telling you how cool you were. Um, (laughs) And I don't ever really do that. In case you didn't know. In case you didn't know. Um, But I had to tell you because I was just so excited. Um, And and you know, it's, it's, that's one of those situations of right place, right time. As I was, like the first day I showed up here, I was coming to a meeting with Dr. Rashput and Dr. Gray. And we're talking, and as as we're talking, I you know, like I kind of got the sense that they were a little concerned about our time and how we were moving in terms of time, and and they're like, uh, well, we we you know, I literally, guys, I had just walked into the Terry Building. We're meeting in that conference room by Dr. Vivig's office, the administrative conference mm-hmm. room there, and I kind of got the sense that these people had to go somewhere. And all of a sudden, you know, they're like, they're like, well, no, listen, we we have we have to present, we have to present our curriculum for the different clerkships, and today we're presenting um, we're presenting OBGYN to the <laughs> curriculum committee, so that, you know, and I'm like, oh wow, well, I, I who's presenting that? I'd love to hear it. <laughs> And literally, they said, "You are," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and and you know that was when I showed up and I went to this curriculum committee meeting, which I had been to at another medical school, and it was you know standing room only. There was a ginormous rectangular table made up of you know with with maybe fifty, sixty people, and then people standing 
against the wall in the entire room. So it was close to 80, 90 people in the room. And I show up. I don't even know what it's called. It's like a little room right off of the cafeteria yeah, downstairs. Yeah, the CDC. The C- it's curriculum t- Development Center, right? It's a yeah. little. Oh. It's a little yeah, room. I think so. Oh, I don't know how much like curriculum. Yeah, I don't know how much curriculum we're developing in there. But I mean, a lot. Obviously, we're all here. Maybe I made that up, but I think that's what it is. <laughs> it was a little room, a door right next to the cafeteria that look, had windows that looked outside. And I walk in there, and there were maybe eight people. People who I remember. I remember Dr. Griffin. I remember Dan Griffin. Uh, Shout out, Dr. Griffin. Yeah, he's, you're he's amazing. Awesome. He's awesome. You are incredible. DJ he is. Yeah, that's he's what uh, amazing. Great DJ guy. Griff. And I get it. There was a young woman, a doctor. I think her name was Dr. Neil Niket. Neal. Yeah, yeah. Shout wonderful, out, Dr. Neil. We miss you. Wonderful person. She presented peds. Yep. Right. Yes. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, uh, uh, hi. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm Rolo de Leon, and uh, <laughs> I'm your new chair of OBGYN and for OB. And all of us, all I could think of was, what do, what do I do with, what do I do and what do I teach my students, right? And we went through it, and they actually, Dr. Gray had a little outline of what we were going to do, very rudimentary. And that's kind of when I it was it was very much of a Wizard of Oz moment, and I've shared this with Sam before, where you just I'm expecting 80, 90 people, and there was really kind of like a curtain, and you pulled back the curtain, and there was one person just pulling all the bells and whistles and the levers, and and everything was happening, and I'm like, wow, this this is really a grassroots effort. Mm-hmm. I need to jump on here because this is really cool. This is grassroots. This is the beginning, the beginning of the beginning of something big. And in, in, in it was one of the, it was the first days of the development of clinical medical education at NSU. And I'm like, this is really cool. And that just drew me in. How was it to be, if you were to contrast that day versus last Friday? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And that's when we matched. That was our match day for everybody oh who's listening. Oh, my gosh. You guys have no idea because that those first few days was me in front of a dry erase board, blank, trying to come up with a schema for a curriculum for OBGYN that would be meaningful. And this is from somebody who knows nothing, Right. So, again, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, thank God for an organization called APCO. Shout out APCO. Shout out APCO. Because these people (laughs) really, really, you know, and I had gone to a course in January of that year when I knew I was going to take this on. And I learned a lot of stuff and I was able to put it together. But then to see the result last Friday of the match and where all the hard work of the students, the faculty, the staff, the administration had taken you guys. Like I said to you before we started the podcast, I don't think anybody, anybody in that room really expected to see the results that were put up on the map the national map afterwards and the quality 
of the places and the and the breadth of different specialties that were represented. I don't think anybody expected that. So, you know, I have been really blessed in my life. I have it's I have been blessed in that coincidentally wherever I go or wherever we go, me meaning, you know, me and Debbie and our, you know, we, we've, you know, I, when my boys were in high school, uh, I helped start a rowing team at their high school. When, you know, my daughter was in high school, I helped develop a, uh, in the STEAM program in her school, a health care or a health um, professions track which is still there and 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 you know I've and we'll get back to this in a, in a few minutes and I've been I've done medical missionary work my whole life from the time I finished my residency until now I have been all over the world you know in Haiti the Dominican Republic Guatemala Ecuador doing medical missionary work every year but this, to be able to go from that day, and and in and in that time, I've delivered about twenty thousand kids. Oh my gosh. So so that's a decent number. <laughs> yeah, that's a good so, amount. <laughs> and and, but I I can't think of anything as professionally fulfilling and personally fulfilling. There's a picture. You saw the picture. There's a picture somebody sent me. A screenshot, and it and it was classic because it was Sam opening her envelope, standing off to the side, and in the background, there I am. I mean, oh, I right I that yeah right yeah that there I am. That was Uma had just read my because we read each right. other's. Um, she had just read it and set it on the podium, and I was still stunned. So I'm sitting there very dorkishly clapping for myself. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> And there you are, so excited with your hands up, like you know, touchdown, like touchdown. Oh. This is this um, is this that was is, incredible. This is you know a touchdown to the corner of the end zone. <laughs> you know, four seconds left in the game for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. That was the feeling throughout the day. So, I mean, to me, that that picture oh, for I'd me that picture I'll cherish that, forever. that picture yeah. said it all because it was what. And then there's another picture of 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 Mitch and I on the stage in like this sumo sumo <laughs> you know hug. Oh, where I think we, I know that one too. We are yeah. just like, you know, because the elation of the moment and you know Every year you have to all well, know. Every year, the first year, yeah, there it is. Look at that. <laughs> I love we that. we have to present. You have to present to the curriculum committee, to the school, though you know what's done. And to me, the fact, for me personally, from going to that dry erase board and starting to say, okay, I have four weeks to teach these people OBGYN meaningfully. How can I get this done and divided in what way? From that to finding out that the entire first and second years that they have done this, 
NSUMD has outscored the national average on the OBGYN shelf exam. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. I mean, outscored the national average, which means, you know, we are doing better than more than half of the medical schools in the country, some of which have been forever. And I think back to that. I mean, this is it's not on me. This is all students' efforts, and this is hours and hours of you world and you wise questions. Well, I and, will say this. I will say this. The shelves, yes, they're good. But I think the most important thing is that you are hard pressed to find a student who left, who didn't leave their OBGYN rotation, just elated and loving it. Having it been their most, it was my fo- most favorite rotation. I'm not even going into OB, but I loved it. I don't know where, I mean, everybody just hands down loved it. I remember leaving the OBGYN rotation, and I remember saying to Marissa, like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do OBGYN, but if I have to, I'll be happy with it. It was the most, I mean, shout out Dr. J. Cohen, our clerkship director. He's incredible. My preceptor, uh, Dr. Samantha Bunting, amazing. It was just such a cool rotation. Dr. Palmarola, REI, um, you just have such a good group of preceptors. It's also one of the only, maybe not one of the only rotations, but it's a rotation as a medical student where you see such a variety of stuff. Like you're seeing regular births, C-sections, you know, operations that don't have anything to do with obstetrics, but like, you know, hysterectomies and and not to mention all just like the regular clinic. And a lot of, and a lot of medicine, you know, as I'm driving up this morning... As I'm driving up this morning, I was on a call with the office where all my partners were doing kind of like sign out or catch up rounds. And everybody shares whatever complicated OB patients are are going on. And we're we're talking about, you know, thrombocythemia. We're talking about... um, valve replacements. We're talking about class C diabetics who are uncontrolled with renal involvement. And I'm driving and I'm listening to them and we're talking back and forth about the management of these patients. And all of a sudden I'm thinking like, holy moly, you know, this is all internal. This is all medicine. You guys are primary care providers. This is all medicine. This is hematology. This is cardiology. This is endocrinology. And it's one of the reasons why I love to get you guys exposed to all of that because it's, you know, yes, you don't serve half of the population, right? But, you know, nobody with a Y chromosome allowed. But Unless you do REI. <laughs> unless you, you do, do infertility, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, for, for that part, intellectually, intellectually, it's it's also really cool. It's you know, and then you add the babies, and then you add all that, and that just puts it over the top for me. But even intellectually, it's it's, and you know, you were saying about the lecturing, and I think one of the most important things in passing on knowledge—not even not teaching, but passing on information—is making the recipient of that information aware of the importance of that information. Because at that point, they're going to, whatever you didn't teach, they're going to go back and say, 
this sounded like I'm really going to need to know this. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to make sure I understand this. So to me, the two biggest things in, in, in passing on information is making the relevance of it known to the recipient, you know, and I love to teach as a story. You know, I love stories. I'm, I was invited to teach. <clears throat> I was invited to give a session at a thing, a conference called HAPS, which is Human Anatomy and Physiology Society by Dr. O'Malley and by Dr. Purvis. And they want me to speak about what do I do to make embryology so much fun. And which is I, like an oxymoron. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I am and the and the and the and the title of my talk is Blockbuster Embryology. And it's, you know, because if if you can make what the information that you're delivering relevant and make it into a story, a story. You know, every great movie <clears throat> starts with a great story. Without that, it's not a great movie. It's not yeah. a great movie. Yeah. It's you know, you can have blow ups and ships sinking and means nothing. Moons blowing up, but you gotta have a great story. And it's making that story <clears throat> and it's easy because embryology is the story of us. I'll tell you another thing though, in addition to the great story, you have to have characters people care about and you yes. are that. You are the main character that people are invested in. So, that's why you're such a good teacher. I know. I, I I'm mean, just fangirling I, here. I, I just I you know, to me it's, you know, <clears throat> I think the characters are the real life experiences and patients who have come through your care for years and you know, we had a genomic session the other day, and it was about, for the third years, and it was about a genomics, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. It's right? okay, Dr. Griffin. We love genomics. We love genomics. Dr. Know. Griffin was the one who asked me to do this, <laughs> and, and, and Dr. Griffin, thank you, and I loved it, and I enjoyed it. But to your point, it was about a... 1-5 balance translocation in a parent that led to sequential pregnancy losses, which in real life are devastating. Mm -hmm. and, and, and kids with horrific, you know, kids who have been born with horrific. But telling the story, you know, you can talk about translocations. You can talk about 1-5 PQ translocations. But when you talk about a family right, who is in that scenario, who desperately wants to have a child and want to be parents, and every child they have had has died. And, you know, and they, those are the characters, and that's the story. And the backdrop is the genetics, right? And, 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 and that's how you, you know, I think that's how you share, how you share information, you know, I not... Yeah, I, I think people don't care about uh, material that starts and ends with the material where there's no applicable, like embryology is applicable, but if you're coming to the lecture and they're telling you all this high level stuff and you don't see how this is ever going to apply to your career, or your life, right. I mean, 
why would you care? But if you're giving case examples and you're, you're bringing it in and you're keeping the material relevant, well, now you have a reason to pay attention. You know, you have a reason to, to care. And, and <clears throat> you know, to me, one of the lines that, that or one of the things that's important for me is I, I, first of all, I don't have, I don't have the background and I don't have the intelligence and I never took steps because in my time you didn't have to. You could, it was a licensing test and there were other roads to it. So I could never use the line of, you might see this on a step question or you might see this on a step test, so study this. And, and beyond that, I don't, I don't think that should ever be a motivator <clears throat> to study, you know? Because I think, it's such a small point in your career, a step test. We all, I mean, the pass rates are incredibly high anyways. We'll do blind, most people, we're gonna pass. It's more like you might see this in your career. Right. This is important. Amen. Um, Amen. Amen. Before we have to wrap up, as we have about, you know, maybe 20 or so minutes, I want <clears throat> you to talk about your medical mission trips because I think that's really cool. Okay. If you want to share. Uh, yes. I love, you know, um, I, I got involved way back in 19... Uh, 88 or 89 when I have a very good friend who we were we were residents together and over the years our friendship has has grown closer he is a pulmonologist and he is retired from clinical medicine now and uh, shout out his name is Dr. Carlos Moas and Carlos is now shout out he is the president of the branch of HCA that oversees. Uh, he is in charge of the management and the quality of every critical care unit that HCA has in the country at every hospital. Oh, wow. So this is the guy that when a unit is underperforming or is having a higher number of adverse outcomes or whatever, he gets on a plane, he goes to Texas, he goes to California, he goes to Nevada, he goes wherever, and sits there and says, let's look at your metric, let's look at what you're doing, let's see how it's working, and let's see how we can tweak it. So it's an incredible position. He's an incredibly gifted guy. When he finished pulmonary medicine, all right, just after I finished OB at Jackson, he really didn't know what he was going to do with his life. So he went to talk to a friend of ours who was another amazing, he was our, yeah, he was our Yoda. He was our Yoda. You were our Yoda. Well, he was, he was, <laughs> he, was he was, our, he was our Yoda. He was an older Jesuit priest who's came from a pedigree that was unbelievable, unbelievable. This, this priest his older brother was the Jesuit who evangelized Alaska. This was the first missionary who went to Alaska before Alaska was a state and was a territory. And so he comes from an incredible pedigree. So he goes to speak to him, and the priest says, Look, why don't you? I have a friend of mine who has a little medical clinic in the middle of nowhere in the Dominican Republic, right on the border with Haiti, 
There is nothing there. Why don't you go and just spend a couple of weeks working in the clinic there and helping out and just see if, you know, clear your mind and get away from Miami and get away from everything. He was single at the time. And why don't you go there? And he says, sure. So he went for two weeks and stayed for a year. And halfway through that time, he says, I need, I need more help. And a lot of what I'm seeing is beyond my scope. I need surgeons. I need surgeons. And so he uh, started calling friends here. And he was like, guys, I need a general surgeon. I need a couple general surgeons. I need an OBGYN. I need this. I need that. And we went. So he recruited us. I don't know where, but we raised money to buy old Army MASH unit anesthesia machines. Manual, right? Where you connected a tank of, you know, nitrous and you had oxygen and you had gas blends connected to a tank. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. If you look them up, you'll see it. The little rocks for the purifying the gases that would go through. And uh, the tubing and everything was by hand, right? So an anesthesiologist. The whole time. The whole time. Wow. With a bag. Yeah. Squeezing a bag, squeezing a bag. Pumping the air through the vent, through the, it was not an electric, it was not, it was, it, it was. does the job, it's just, yeah, it's manual. We, well, there was no, there was, we could not count on the electricity or the power, right? Because you knew it was temporary. So you right. could not use, you not you could not use an electrical powered vent because it just wouldn't work. Because the power was going to shut off halfway through the surgery four times, right? And you couldn't afford that. So we got all the equipment and we go to these places and it was called Dahabong. Dahabong was literally on the border with Haiti and um, on the border. It was so, so poor. I mean, so poor. The life expectancy of a goat who wandered into that town Aww. was about 30 seconds. Oh, man. Because whatever live animal wandered into that town had a life expectancy of 30 seconds. Oh, wow. If a chicken wandered in in 30 seconds, dinner. a yeah. plume of feathers, and somebody oh, wow. was making dinner, right? <laughs> it was incredible. And... The pathology was amazing, was amazing, you guys. So uh, we go there, and we saw everything, 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 everything. You know, people with ostomy breakdowns where they would take, they would have a hole, and they would stick a rag in their abdomen and take the rag out, and about 18 inches of bowel would come out. Mm. And they're like, can you help me? And we're like, yes, yes, you just made... You just made number one on the triage list, wow. you know? So uh, we saw a kid who was in a gas fire who was about um, seven, eight years old and whose left arm was melted onto his torso 
and we went with a guy who was a Vietnam field surgeon, Dr. Carlos Rivera, amazing guy. This guy was a cowboy, you know, with a scalpel and a stitch. There was nothing this guy couldn't do. But I mean, I mean, field surgery, Vietnam, and, you know, not only cutting people open, but cutting people open with bullets flying around you. My gosh. And no anesthesia, probably. No, no right, nothing. right, right, right. So he went with us. And another guy who you guys might know, who's a surgeon at Kendall, a guy named Carlos Santiago. I don't know if you guys ran into him, but a lot of NSU students have run into him. And I direct all my students who are going to Kendall to find him and seek him out because he's just an amazing Maining guy. Charlie was amazing. So Charlie and I were green, like our scrubs. We really were, were fresh, and as was Dr. Moas, and Dr. Rivera was really the seasoned vet. So we, there was nothing we wouldn't tackle. We would operate on anybody. And the amazing part was you had no pain medication because you couldn't bring any narcotics into the country. Right. So it was all ibuprofen and Tylenol. And we were doing hysterectomies. We were doing colostomies. Major we were doing bowel stuff. resections. You know what? These there was no the beds were not beds. They were basically there were two people to a bed because of the beds that worked, you know, and uh, so what we had was rooms where one of the people in the OR, their job was to stand around with papers waving off the flies that were flying around the room so they wouldn't go into the belly, right? And then eventually one would go in and you'd have to pick the fly out of, you know, the peritoneum or the omentum or the broad ligament, wherever it was, pick it out and dump it and get a new set of... So that was, it was that kind of, that kind of place. And uh, <clears throat> so this kid that was burned, we started doing flaps. Dr. Rivera said, we can do this. We can flex him. And between the three of us, we must have spent six, seven hours working on this kid to release the adhesions, create flaps, bring them over. And you we must have maybe 3,000 stitches thrown that Gosh. day. And we would have to rotate, you know, Garcia Rivera would do the flap and then Charlie and I would come in and stitch it because it just was too much for one person. Um, simple things too. Kids who were tongue-tied, who couldn't speak, who mm -hmm. with a tiny bovie, you just lifted up their mm -hmm. tongue, put a little bit of lidocaine in and just buzzed it uh, and changed their lives because they could speak and they couldn't. You know, things like, things like that and... Um, and it's something that I had to do. I had never done, and I had to do because I think it's something we all need to do at some point for two reasons. Number one, like I said at the beginning, we're all privileged to be here. Yep. They could have picked anybody else, and they picked us, right? And they picked us. And number two... When you go on a mission and you can do a hysterectomy, right, of a huge fibroid uterus or a vaginal hysterectomy of a total prolapse 
and put this together. And in the middle of, not even in a hospital, guys, because it really wasn't a hospital, but in, in a setting like that where you're in the middle of nowhere and you have no backup and you have no blood, okay, and you have limited IV and every step you take surgically has to be perfect. If you can get to do that, you know what? Medicine in Miami becomes a piece of cake. You're like, hell, I can, I can do anything mm-hmm. here because I have 40 people helping me. I have right. lights. I have air conditioning. I have IV. If I cut a vessel, I have blood, you know, and, you know. It's a way to push the boundaries of your skills, I guess. And you come back first full full your heart is full number one but your confidence is full too your clinical confidence is full because you realize what you can do so one trip led to another led to another led to another the latest the latest involvement that i've had again you know situations which were really 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 bad haiti Haiti's probably the worst. It's been the hardest. You know, our parts of the DR, which are close to Haiti. And my last 10 years have been in a mission called Mindo, which is in an, out of an orphanage school in northwest Ecuador, uh, which is halfway up the Andes. And it's a little orphanage school where we go to the school, set up, we set up, um, we set up a clinic and bring everybody, bring pediatricians, OB, uh, medicine, dental, podiatry, uh, general surgery, to do small surgeries. And in about four days, we'll see like 4,500 people. Wow. And, but to wrap, to kind of wrap this up, um, in the second or third mission, to Dahabon, uh, we did the mission. We finished everything. Um, my, we were all ready to leave. We're on. Everybody's on the bus to drive four hours through the northern part of the Dominican Republic to catch a plane to come back to Miami. And the only people, myself, my wife. And Dr. Moas, Carlos, who was the, 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 the kind of like the, the head of the mission, get off the bus to take one more round and just look it around and look at every post-op patient before we get on the bus and before we leave. And everybody's okay. And as we are going to leave, um, a woman walks in with a nine, ten-year-old little boy, skinny as a rail. I mean, you know, old, ty- old flip-flops, which were like paper-thin, dirt all over him, you know, uh, a little open shirt, pants that were way too big, and he's just, and he's shuffling in, right? Bent over, forward, holding his belly, right? That if an M1 could not diagnose appendicitis, you know, I, you know, 
Get him out. I'd <laughs> send him, him back yeah. to, you know, he'd, he'd be in the library for the next week reading about appendicitis. <laughs> but it was so obvious. We put the kid on the table, and he was splinting, right? He had, you know, psoas sign, everything. He couldn't barely extend his leg. Right. But he was so skinny, when you touched him, you could palpate it. You could all oh, you could palpate the appendix, right? And so Dr. Moens and I say to the mom, uh, listen, uh, we're done. We don't we don't have anything here. We we're 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 finished, you know. And uh, you know, we're we're leaving, we're going on the bus, but you know what? Let us take him and take you and we'll take you to one of the bigger towns populated along the way where there are hospitals and they will operate on. This is a place that is so remote, you guys, that there are people who their entire life, they just don't leave that village, right? They don't leave that village, right? right? So to take this kid three hours away was for you and I, you know, to 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 go to to go to China, to go to Fiji, to go to you know somewhere somewhere that it would be like you know to go to Australia across so, the world yeah. across the world. It'd be for like them. letting my cat outside. There's no way. There's no way. It's just not happening. <laughs> so there was a nun who was there, and the mother just kind of puts her arm around the kid, and they start walking, and my wife who who you guys have met. Shout out, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> she, I love uh, her. Yeah, she's great. She's she is there. And the woman behind the genius. And she said, no, the genius. <laughs> the genius. The genius the behind genius the man. The genius behind the man. The genius behind the man. Yes. So uh, Debbie Debbie says to the nun, she says, Sister, what's what's going to happen? And she, the nun says, well, we see this all the time. You know, we see this every once in a while. Kids come and they have a stomach ache. And uh, they go home and they get really, really hot. And then they die. Mm. This was a part of life, right? This is what happens to some of these kids. Every once in a while, one gets a really, really bad stomach ache. He gets really, really hot, and then he dies. It's just like the syndrome of uncontrolled appendicitis is all they know. They're just like, this is what we see. This is what we see. And this is how it's going to play out. And at the time, we have two, our sons, our twins, who at this age— Excuse me, are six or seven years old, and they're in Miami being cared for by their grandmother, healthy and alive. And Debbie just turns into mama lion mode, and she says, "You know, not on my watch. Not today. <laughs> Aren't leaving. Nope. Yeah. Not today." Not today. This isn't happening here today. I'm not surprised by that at all, knowing her. And Jeez. she said, Rolo, you you have to take this kid's appendix out. And I'm like, 
Debbie, look at this. You know, we're in street clothes. We're we're out of here. The bus is honking because they're leaving. And she's like, we can't, you know, we can't leave here without this kid's appendix. We really, really can't. So we're like, okay, what do we do? So Carlos and I start brainstorming. And he says, look, I can pull one of the machines out of the truck. And we have no oxygen. I can get some sucks and I can paralyze them. But I, 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 we don't have oxygen. All we have is room air. Right. All we have is room air. I, I can intubate him and bag him with an Ambu bag and paralyze him, but and then reverse it. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know where that's going to lead to. I know this is like a stupid question. You guys probably don't even have stuff to monitor their oxygen level. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, no. Of, Pulse oximeter did not exist. I just want to point that out. No, yeah, no, it's no. just you're just kind of winging all this. Oh, my gosh. No, no, this no. This is not 2022 no, anesthesia no, in the operating room. No. Pulse <laughs> no. oximeters did not exist. Exactly. And, uh, and there was no EKG monitor because it was packed in, in a way. Uh, it was basically in, put the kid to sleep, intubate him quickly, bag him with an Ambu bag with room air, keep him paralyzed, and then uh, reverse the you know try to reverse the paralysis and hope he wakes up. Yep. Right. Because if we do nothing, if we do if we intervene, he may die. If we don't, he will die. So, you know, okay, let's let's. Let's see what we have. And we had basically a suture kit left, which had a couple of little retractors, a couple of hemostats, a scalpel. And then the meanwhile, we go outside and we tell the people on the bus, go. Because there were about 30 people who needed to get, catch a plane. So we're like, go. We'll catch up with you. Who knew, right? You guys go. So the bus leaves. We stay behind, and um, I mean, I can't rem- I had never, no, I can't say this. I had never operated on a nine-year-old boy. I'm a gynecologist, for God's sakes, right? I had seen appendectomies. I had done appendectomies in residency. We were taught to do appendectomies in case we ever needed to. So I had done the procedure, and... We basically pulled his pants down and put some betadine over the area. I'm trying to remember McBurney's point, two thirds, you know, one third, two thirds, IS, you know, you know, ISAS, you know, to the belly button where it was, you know, I make an incision on the skin. There is no fat. Skin, fascia, peritoneum, boom, boom, boom. I make a hole, all of a sudden, pop. Up pops the appendix right in the middle of my surgical field. It just comes it out just for you. Popped up for me right there. Wow. I grabbed it with a Babcock clamp, got to the base, double clamped it with hemostats, cut it off, stitched the first layer, imbricated the second layer. In seven minutes, the case was done. And I just did like a like a sub-Q stitch on the skin. In seven minutes, the case was done. And we're looking at each other like. It wasn't ruptured. It was hard as hell, so it was about to. And we popped it off, 
close the kid, and we're like, are we done? We're done. We're done. Carlos reversed the paralysis, <laughs> took out the tube. The kid started coughing, and we're like, we're like, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. Wow. So um, we're like, look, the bus is like, you know, an hour ahead of us. We need to catch them to get to the airport with them. And somebody says, okay, such and such, such and such as cousin knows somebody who has a car. So <laughs> one of those things, we get a car. <clears throat> one of the advantages, and this is one of those little, it was like, imagine a Mini Cooper, but an old little Fiat or a Renault. <laughs> yeah. you know, a little yeah. tiny, little tiny clown ass car. car. Little clown car. One of the perks of being big and fat is that you you always automatically get shotgun. Okay? Yeah, oh yeah, I agree with that. You can al- confirm you, you get shotgun all the time. You automatically yes. get shotgun. So, <clears throat> Carlos Moas, who's taller than I am, but he's a string bean, he's in the back seat. His knees are up to his lower lip, right? <laughs> Debbie is sitting behind me in the car, and somebody is driving, and we're going through, you know, boom, 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 boom. You know, trying to go like 40 miles an hour through these dirt rocky roads. You know, we're, you know, our kidneys, it's its basically lithotripsy <laughs> for right. an hour, right? And we're going and uh, we're like 10, 15 minutes out and I'm in the front seat. Ah. Uh, And all of a sudden, I just start crying. But not crying. I'm sobbing, just bawling like, you know, a six-year-old or a three-year-old whose favorite toy you just took. And I'm just (laughs) catching my breath, sobbing, sobbing uncontrollably. And Debbie's behind me. And if you can picture the scene, she's from behind rubbing my shoulders, just saying, Rolo, he's okay. He's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And she's rubbing my shoulders, and he's going to be okay. And I'm just in the front seat wagging my finger, no. Like, I'm just crying. I'm crying, and I'm waving my (laughs) finger like this. And she's rubbing, and she's rubbing it, and she's like, and I'm just crying and crying and crying. And I was trying to say, no, that's not why I'm crying. Right. <laughs> and, and I I obviously, at that point, I didn't verbalize it. I was crying because have you ever seen a movie where you don't really know what's going on? And right near the end, something happens and all the tumblers fall into place. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's any Christopher Nolan movie. Yes. (laughs) Well, at that moment... I flashed back to 
1977 in April. And that MCAT, which I took, right? The gift. The gift. And the gift was that I could get to go to medical school, fall in love with OBGYN, train in OBGYN, while I trained in OBGYN, learn how to do appendectomies, so that on that day, at that moment, I could be there to save that kid's life. That's a lot of years in the making. That's like a grand plan. And never saw it coming until that moment. And it was sort of an epiphany of, you idiot, this is why I gave you that. This is why you got that gift, you know. And I'm I'm reminded of one of my favorite moments in a movie is at the end of Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks is speaking to Ryan, and he he says when all of them have died, pretty much, and he says to Ryan, you know, earn this, earn this gift, earn this. Earn this every day. So what am I doing? What did I try to do delivering babies for the last, you know, 35, 36 years? What have I been doing trying to, to pass this knowledge on to medical students? Earning it. I'm just earning the gift. I'm not that great a person. I'm just earning the gift I'm earning the gift that I was given by passing it on to you guys. And and it was that that moment that, you know, and this is what you're supposed to do. And this is what you're going to do for this is what you have to do. And that's why I tell people I'm, you know, whoever lets me do it, I'll do it because this reminds me, I was told by an, an amazing and incredible gastroenterologist, Dr. Franklin Kasman. Shout out, Dr. Kasman. He took out, he, 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 um, he, he did an ERCP on me. And I thanked him profusely. I, I can't tell you, even when I was at Aventura, I would go back. Every time I would see him, I would thank him profusely. And he said, you know what, Samantha? I was available. I was capable. That's it. You do that yourself. Be available. Be capable. That's it. That's all we can do. And, um, and don't overlook the gifts that you are given along the way. Yes, you worked hard at it. Yes, you studied hard. Yes, you did well on steps. Yes, you did this. But in the end, in the end, there were many people equally as qualified, and you were chosen. And, and I've always wanted to share this, and I've never shared this with anybody here at school. I've never had the opportunity to share it, and, and I, 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 I can't think of a better forum to have been able to share that story than, than with you guys here, than with you guys here today, because 
every time I say it, I cry and I blubber because it's it's just such a it's such a pivotal moment in my life. And I was already an adult. I was already a doctor. I was already you know, but it 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 changed the focus of where my professional life had to go. And uh, so, thank you because this this was. I mean, thank you for sharing it with us. I mean, it's 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 a it's a beautiful story. It's beautiful. It's inspiring, and it's. I mean, I think I just we touched on it earlier, and I didn't realize. I mean, there is kind of a this is a circle back moment where it all kind of connected together, but you don't have that perspective when you're going through things the first time when you're taking yeah. the MCAT, when you're an M one, two, three, even us now, obviously. You don't like, know what's ahead of you. You yeah. don't know what's ahead of you. And like we talked about this multiple times, but we've talked about it before where if we could go back and give ourselves advice first year or second year, we wouldn't have done things or we would have had a different perspective. And we look back on it now and it seems obvious to us now, but what I'm saying is the only way you can get that perspective in real time is by talking to people that have been through it and talking to mentors, talking to people ahead of you, whether it's other medical students that are ahead of you, people like Dr. People like Dr. D, so they can give you that perspective earlier on. And and again, and again, you know, it's a, and again, it's a, it's it's we are blessed and we are fortunate to be here and you know, and, you know, like they said, like Tom Hanks said in the movie, you know, earn it. Earn it every day. Earn it every day. Earn this gift every day. And that's, you know. I was given a huge gift on Friday, and I've been thinking all weekend about how, yeah, it's my, I, I have to, it's, it's a blessing. It's yeah. I need to be there. I need to learn everything I can. And I need to something you said too. I I've just been like thinking about lots of stuff you said. I have many comments, but <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to get caught up in thinking about what you've done, the effort you've put in, the sacrifice that you've made, and to kind of get selfish, maybe not the best word, but to just be so self centered in this process when it's very easy to forget that there are thousands of people that yes. wanted to be where you are, that will always want to be where you are. And it's such a privilege. Even Sam and I just talking about how being on, even just as a medical student on internal medicine, like clerkship, just that opportunity and privilege to get to know people so deeply in such a... On all the clerkships. On all clerkships, yep. for sure. Just getting to know people so deeply and it, on top of that, in a time where they're in, you know, dire straits. Worst, worst times of their life when you're in the hospital. Yep, it's just another it's day for you. Day of their life. And it's really easy to take that for granted. So I will always remember that. Earn it every day. Earn mm -hmm. it every day. I, yeah. It's, and it's a gift. It's a gift to get this, this education as well. I think there's, I mean, there's not many people in the world that have these capabilities. So it is our duty going forward to share it with the world um and give back to everybody as much as we can I mean, that's it's our job now it is your, our it job is, now it is it is our job and and enjoying and enjoying this 
this fraternity, this sorority, this sodality, this 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 group that's yes, when you guys walk across the stage and get hooded and join, yes, this is part of that. And in and in fact, you know, the the original Hippocratic Oath talks about, you know, you know, teaching and passing on this knowledge freely to mm-hmm. to 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 your to your people. So I mean um yeah. yeah. I always understood it to mean that we are now public servants. Nothing more. Not public heroes. Absolutely. Public servants. Absolutely. Um although I think you're a hero, Dr. No, DeLeon. No, no, no. You're I'm, my hero. I'm 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 somebody who was blessed in many, 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 many ways. And trust me, trust me, days like this and moments like this are very important because we get, you know, we get we get tired, we get frustrated by a lot of different things and pressures that that, that are extraneous to the purity of medicine, but but really and truly, you just have to kind of say no, no. This is this is real. This is not. I'm I'm going to plow forward and try to plow forward and and do that. And um, like I said, you know, really really lucky to have been given this opportunity to be part of this, especially. In the fourth quarter of my professional life, where you know you do something for forty years, it's not that it gets old, but you've done it for forty years. Things become repetitive. Things at least. become repetitive, but doing it and every month getting a new person and seeing it through their eyes, right? I, you know, and I, I trust me, I feel it. When there's a gap like Christmas or now that there's a gap between years and I'll go five, six weeks without a student next to me. You feel it? You feel it? You feel it? You feel it. You feel it because you're like, you know, yes, your days go quicker. Yes, you get more done. But the energy that the student brings isn't there and you know that's super important guys i have to share one more thing with you this is going to be i'm going to heap more praise on you no do you remember that time you had a hand in saving my life no no. yes yes nothing nothing yes mitch was there mitch remembers my husband remembers i was sick i was yellow i was jaundice i was dying my liver almost failed and you i texted you i said hey dr de leon do you know of any good ERs in the area? <laughs> I'm like kind of dying. I think I'm really sick. Um, you called me every day. You called my surgeon. You made sure he didn't kill me. No, and he's a, his he's hand. An ex, no, he's, he's an incredible. exceptional no, surgeon. His hands are a gift. I, shout out Dr. Kahani. Seriously, he is an you. Exceptional surgeon. I know he just he just got an award. I mean, he just did his thousandth robotic surgery. I was part of that. I contributed to that. <laughs> um, and he's truly incredible. He's um, chief of surgery at Aventura, yes. and truly, truly a remarkable surgeon and a gift to the world and to humanity. So if you're listening, you're probably never going to listen, but you are incredible. Dr. DeLeon, you are incredible. 
It's, you guys are all. It's, it's part of what you guys are going to do. And somebody is going to call you as early as a couple of months from now. And they're going to say, you know, Mitch, Sam, something, you know, and you are going to start. And then the, the good thing is that that in in my time, this is kind of like a little play on words. There was a thing called a Rolodex. Okay. Yeah. Does anybody know what a yeah. Rolodex is? Yeah, you flip through, you Remember? get the number. Yeah. You rolled it, and there were cards, <laughs> and you would put cards in the Rolodex. Yeah, the primary care doctor right. that I rotate with still has one. Okay. You know, every week, your personal Rolodex of contacts is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And these are connections that you need to keep close to you. So that when somebody calls you and says, hey, you know, my cousin just had a compound fracture in Gainesville. Who? Well, when you run into your ortho friends in residency and you're going to say, okay, who, guys, who would, your, who would you call for your family to operate? Dr. Such and such. Okay, can you connect me with them? Boom, 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 boom. That's part of your job to make those to connect those dots for those people right when somebody says you know what um i think i'm an m1 call or somebody i think i'm interested in doing ob oh you know what maybe you should talk to dr d pick up the phone call me listen this m1 you know I've already seen that start to unfold, even just as a fourth year, like yep. uh, M1s, M2s, just, hey, I'm interested in radiology. Who should I talk to? Hey, I'm interested in OBGYN. And even if it's just classmates or it, I, even just like a small example of this, I've met residents over my time in clinic that I'm like, wow, these are good people that I like to teach and stuff. And I've connected even medical students with residents I've met. And who knows where those relationships go. So Absolutely. That's, that's, that's huge. It's and, the family. And, it's the family, and it's what we do. And I think the cool thing about what you guys are doing here is, you know, you are you are sort of taking the veil off of what the black box of medical school is mm -hmm. so people can see it and see that it's just a whole bunch of people who have certain gifts in certain, in certain scenarios, and they are sharing them with you, Dr. Griffin, Dr. Bachman, Dr. Wrench, all the basic science people. Then, you know, Steve Ely, you know, uh, everybody here, Dr. Rashput, Dr. Pandey, everybody here, Dr. Shaw, everybody has their niche and their gift, right? And how that entire village came together to, you know, to fill fill you guys up with what you need to be complete enough to have the celebration we had Friday and now to move on and actually and actually make it real. It's the beginning of something beautiful, for mm -hmm. sure. So, That's what med school is. Something Chase said, what do you say, like never let an opportunity pass you? His well, high school teacher said never right. let an opportunity pass you by. Always take... Yeah. You know, the and no, I thought be, about yeah. that through this whole episode. I feel like you've really, you've, you've had lots of opportunities and you've really seized them, which I think is very cool. And so I thank you for that. And also thank you for just being open 
with everyone, just in your emotions, in your passion for medicine and teaching. I mean, it, it really, it, I'm not trying to, to hype you up here. It's very, it's oh, very, I'll hype you up all day. I know you, I'm it's very inspirational to people under you and us medical students that want to emulate some of those things. So I appreciate it. And mm-hmm. on behalf of the class of 2022 and, and the entire NSUMD, we are so incredibly grateful for you. And behalf of myself, of and, course. And, we, <laughs> you know, and, and we're gonna we're gonna go back to what what our mantra is to earn this, to earn this gift and to pass it on. This is wonderful. This has really been, this has really been fun. This has really been fun, and I'm so happy you guys are doing this. And I hope you do a whole bunch more. Oh, we will. Oh, that's Absolutely. the plan. We already got multiple things in Good. the works. Good. And more to come. And future M1s, M2s, when you see that a lecture is taught by the one and only Dr. DeLeon, you better show up. If you don't. <laughs> in person. You're doing In the front row because they are magical. I've been. I've, I'm an M4 and I've gone to his M1 lectures. Yes, you have. And they're incredible. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> oh, yes, this is like have. evidence. This is like, yes, this, is, this is evidence. Like, this is stalker mode, Samantha. Yes, you you show up to my lectures. No, but they're incredible. Please, this, this man is a gem. He's a gift to our school. He's just a good person to know. He's amazing. His family's incredible. His wife, Debbie, is an amazing human being. Your daughter Mati, shout out Mati. She's upstairs. You're next. Shout out Mati. She's upstairs. You're next. She is upstairs, cutting through stuff, trying to to uh, to prepare things for for M ones and M twos. If you get a chance to get a little Dr. D rubbed off on you, you'll be better for uh, it. Your life is gonna be much better, Dr. D. And with that, we are we're out of here. We're setting you free. To continue to give your gift to the world we've kept you hostage long enough but we again we are so grateful for you to be here any last words mitch it's always a pleasure it's fun guys it's always a pleasure it's, always, it's you guys you, you know you know where you sit you both know where you sit in my heart and and thank you likewise thank you Play out music. This is the podcast. You're going to swim if you got Dr. D on your side. Woo!